Tri-State Sports Beat with your hosts, Nick Federico, Scott DeBell, and Joe Bruno. All right, all right. Episode number 117 of the good old Tri-State Sports Beat. We're done with our two-week hiatus, I think. Uh, been a wild couple, uh, two couple weeks, and hope everybody's doing well. Scott and Nick here. Hi, buddy. How are you? Hi, pal. How are you? Oh, just fantastic. I feel like screaming the past weekend. A little bit yeah, individually between yeah. the, between the both of us. Yeah, it's uh ugh. not 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 like bad like fighting like we were pissed off at the uh, good old New York Yankees. Yankees, uh, the Jets, you know, with the, all these freaking injury stuff going on. But we have a lot, a lot, a ton to discuss today between the two New York football teams because, pal, football is a week away, which is hey, we crazy. have college football this weekend. Get ready to put on the army shirt and the army hat and uh, go Black Knights. They are playing, right? That is, yeah. They are. Middle Tennessee State Army is a three and a half point favorite, I wow, believe. Wow, that is. You, obviously, you're happy about that, but are you like kind of concerned about that a little bit, or not so much? I don't know. Middle Tennessee State was a uh, four and eight last year. I forget what Army's record was, but it was pretty tragic, also. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Well, hopefully they get a time hopefully they get a full football. Se- yeah, hopefully they get a full season in. You know. It's just like, like they've talked about no bowl games and stuff like that, and um, I don't know. You think about it, it's like yeah, they play Cincinnati, who's ranked, and they like you know have the Commander in Chief's trophy. But like, even if you have a good record, are you going to go to a bowl game? Because who knows if they're going to have them or not? Like, yeah, exactly. I don't even know if they can like technically qualify for one because they're playing three freaking FCS schools because every other conference uh, isn't letting non-conference games or whatever and being an independent you know kind of hurts that yeah for sure but we are back we took a little two-week hiatus but we are back we got didn't really feel like it was that long it didn't really either we have a crap ton to talk about today joe will join us later to talk islanders hockey and we got a new segment including our pal joe so uh we will (laughs) debut that today and of course you will get our bets with you know football coming up our weekly nfl bets will be coming back sooner so uh, so that'll be fun Get to keep score of that going on. But I figured we'd start today, since we are a week, about a week away from the NFL season already, which still is mind-boggling to me. Eight days, I think, from that Thursday night opener. It's weird. It's so... And you know what? Like, any other year, 
it would have felt like, oh, where, like when's football going to start? But right now, football just came and went and then has come back again, which no. is, is crazy. So I guess we'll start with our beloved New York Jets, right? Ugh. I already feel <laughs> depressed. I have Ajita, and I feel depressed already. Uh, you know, where <laughs> where do we start, pal, with these? Well, we have to start with the injuries. So we talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago, Denzel Mims injured with the hamstring, Vincent Smith injuries, all right, they're already very light at wide receiver. Mims was actually able to practice today, so that's the first time since camp opened, so that's exciting. Hopefully he'll be ready to go for week one. Um, don't know how much he's really going to make an impact right away, considering he had no preseason, no rookie mini camp, no, you know, extended training camp, but, uh, we'll see what happens there. But along with all these other injuries, Bashad Perriman, the number one wide receiver on this Jets team, knee injury, limited in practice. Greg Van Roten, a new offensive guard for the Jets, oblique injury. He's, you know, in and out of practice. Uh, LaMichael Pirine. The rookie, uh, third or fourth round running back, uh, an ankle. He was carted off at the MetLife Stadium practice the other day. Great, love to see that. Only sprained ankle though. Yeah, only so, sprained ankle. Yeah, so not, much not better than serious. what I originally thought. Not very serious. So then, Jamison Crowder with a leg injury yesterday. Herndon with a chest issue, but he was fine today. Was able to practice, and then this one kind of hurt too. Marcus May with this calf injury, this lingering calf injury that's been going on for the past week or so. Uh, he was held out of the MetLife practice as well as today, I believe. Um, yeah. And then Barrios and Hogan with undisclosed injuries, I think they were able to practice. Um, this one, this next one, low-key, is not not very oh, – no injuries are very good, but especially when you're the Jets and already don't have C.J. Mosley and you're counting on Avery Williamson to be back 100%. Patrick Onwasser is out with a knee injury for four to five weeks. So he will miss the start yeah, well, of the season. Hold- just to go back on that, I don't know sure. if they're counting on Avery Williamson to be, you know, what he was in, what year was that, 2018? Yeah. Because he's been majority, a majority of his plays have been with the second team. Mm. They're running a combination of Cashman and someone else that's at uh, Burgess, maybe. Cashman and Burgess, Probably maybe. Burgess. And if Joe were here, he'd be ecstatic. He loves Blake Cashman. And, you know, I, yeah, do, I, mean, I do, too. I mean, he's not a bad I player. Mean, I mean, I was a person who ripped that pick back mm. uh, when we drafted him because, you know, that it was, was kinda, right it was kinda like after the they signed. Barrios pick. Uh, not Braxton Barrios. It was kind of like the Ashton Davis pick this year. Yeah, like we had C.J. Mosley. We had Avery Williamson coming off a career year. Like, why do we need another middle linebacker in the fifth round? He could have addressed a different position. But, you know, it seems like this guy's, you know, maybe Mike McCagnan actually found someone legitimate in elite round. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, but with these, but yeah, go ahead. I was very surprised to see Avery running with the second team. Yeah. Kind of. I know that's not what you I think want. He might've been, he might've might been working with Basham a lot on the second team defense. Could have been, but I'm he looking gets at, like three or four first team snaps in a practice. Yeah. But I'm looking at this jets offensive, um, depth chart. The two starting wide receivers are questionable. Three, actually, if you count Chris Hogan, Chris Herndon is questionable, and then Mims, Vincent Smith, Jeff Smith, LaMichael P. Ryan, uh, Braxton Berrios, Lawrence Cager, he went back to practice today. Like, who the hell is playing week one against Buffalo? Well, Mims, uh, for the first day today, actually did individual yeah, drills. did individual drills. And Gase, welcome to COVID football. This is the first time since he's been drafted that Gase actually saw him run live routes. Wow. And we are, it is September 2nd. <laughs> A week away from the season. Less than a week away but, from the season. But Mims said, uh, let me just pull up the 
tweet right quick. This is from Olivia Landis. I think she's the Jets like yeah, she's reporter. One of the Jets be reporters. Yeah, for the team, and she said, "Rookie wide receiver Denzel Mims says he feels he will most definitely be ready for Week One." So you have to hope that you know in his time away from you know with injury and stuff, he's been studying his playbook, and a lot of the talk has been that wide receiver is one of the hardest transitions to make from college to the NFL, just because of the different schemes, and especially I think especially Adam Gase's offense. 12. Too. Yeah. Um, well, I, I honestly think that could be, you know, somewhat of a, a good thing for him. Maybe the Big 12 does kind of run a, you know, kind of a run and gun simple offense. I think they don't, you know, run a lot of schemes and stuff like that. They try, try to hurry up and just like, you know, like I said, run and gun down the field. But, you know, they prioritize offense in that in that conference. Mm-hmm. It is an offensive just juggernaut offense. Uh, I mean, conference. So, but also, and, and you have to make into account too that his former head coach was Matt Rule, who is now the coach at Carolina. So yeah. maybe you know if you know Matt Rule being a uh, you know a contender for a head coaching job before then, obviously something can relate to him to the NFL. Yeah, and you know people have also said that Adam Gase's offense is not the easiest to learn. He has a lot of different schemes, and you know. Different it's a lot of long vocabulary. It's it's a lot of down the field kind of stuff. You don't see the quick passes, you know, uh, you know, except yeah. for the quick screens that go for negative two yards every single time. But you don't yeah. see the quick slants. You don't see like the, you don't see any of those short routes. All all it is, it's five step drops, play action passes, and that's the biggest crit. That you know, that's the biggest criticism I have of Gase's offense. Yeah, and like you see, you can see that too in the guys like we pick up in emergency situations, like you come in and you say, oh, he knows Gase's offense, he can come right in. Like, that just shows that he has a very complicated offensive playbook with, like I said, his schemes, the vocabulary he uses. Like, I think that also, you know, we can talk about Sam Darnold too, people saying he's not having the greatest training camp, but people have said he looks a lot more comfortable in the offense. And I think that shows, you know, year one, it looked like he struggled a little bit with the offense of getting comfortable. Yeah. People are saying now he's progressing through the, the progressions a lot easier this, uh, this off season or this training camp. And because he's, you know, this is year two of his offense. And he doesn't have to worry about those broad details that he would have to in the beginning. Yeah. And also like people saying that he's uh, correcting Gase on some things, which I don't know how I feel about. That's a good take a one side of a good thing and about one side of a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So, well, but. I mean, there is some kind of, I guess you could say help because the Jets did sign wide receiver Dante Moncrief and DJ Montgomery from the Browns. But, you know, you can't get away with guys like that. I'm sorry. But like Sam has been throwing to undrafted rookies and journeyman wide receivers, basically all training camp law because these mm-hmm. guys have been out. But this team is just not as presented right now. You know, it's, you know. If something magical happens, everyone just gets healthy come week one. I, you know, I don't know if the Jets are holding guys out because they're being, you know, cautious, want them to play week one. Like guys like Crowder, Paraman, I think they'll be ready for week one. Mims, I don't know. Like Vincent Smith's not going to be ready. On Wasser's not going to be ready. Uh, I think most of these guys we will be able to see week one. But you know, Pierre Desir is another one who has seen, who's been around, who's been about out the same amount of time as Denzel Mims. So, you know, he's trying to get acclimated to this team. And we're counting on him to be the number one corner. So that's, you know, that's a thing. You know, 
I think most of these guys will be ready. It's just that we're seeing it in training camp, and it's just not good. Not good from what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, you just have to hope that, you know, this has been talked about too by a lot of, you know, NFL insiders and, you know, people that talk about this all day, every day, is you have to hope if you're not a very good football team that other teams are also struggling with getting through training camp and getting, you know, ramped up. and Which they are. Uh, other teams are. Yeah. You have to hope that when the Jets come into, there's something happening in the Mets game behind you. People are rounding the bases round and round and round. Something just happened to Jake Marisnik, I think. He's crouching I think down I saw his him. hat off. Okay, so I can see Nick's TV in the background while we're recording this, and I saw him absolutely slam into the wall. So uh, Rojas is coming out to check on him. Oh, good. But back to the Jets. Uh, you have to hope that when you go into Buffalo week one, that Josh Allen isn't clicking, you know, that offensive line isn't clicking, that defense isn't clicking. You have to hope that you can just, you know, squeeze out a win somehow, yeah. some way. We, you have to show that, you know, I don't put a lot of, you know, value into the six and two finish last year. No, I, I I, it's either. a brand new season, brand new group. Like, but it's beyond you have a to brand show new that, season. This is completely new circumstances. Last yeah. year seems like you two have years to, ago. You have to show that you can build on some sort of momentum here. Marisnik, like Marisnik people just took went face first into the wall. Didn't catch the ball, oh, by good. the way. Um, but you have to hope that you can take some sort of momentum into the season because this this first game is going to set the bar. Because if they come out and they suck in the in you know the first game, it's going to be a very very long season. Especially because you know because they have the second hardest schedule in the league behind the Patriots. Yeah, and they're playing this Buffalo, going... a division rival. Luckily, there's going to be no fans, so there's, you know, no Bills Mafia there. And, like, this is a game where I think we can split with the Bills this year, whether it's, uh, you know, they're a much better football team than we are, but I think this is the game where, you know, I've, this is going to land on Greg Williams. Greg Williams is have to, going to have to keep the Bills offense out of the end zone. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to have to hope that, you know, hopefully we can figure out the kicking situation. Oh, it's already been figured again, out. It's, it's already horrible. been figured out. Yeah, well, it still sucks. Yeah, it's awful. We went we'll through. We thought we so. figured it out last year with Kyer Vedvik, and uh, freaking, we went through three more kickers. Mm. But you have to hope that Adam Gase can somehow, you know, maneuver. We have to score in those first two drives because his scripted plays are going to be fantastic. He's had eight months to script these first two uh, drives. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope it's good, Adam. Let's hope it's good. Uh. Um, we we have to hope that some of these wide receivers get healthy. Uh, we have to hope that this offensive line is clicking, which. You don't really see a lot of people talking about the offensive line, which I guess is a good thing. But people, then other people have said that it's been kind of shaky. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a I lot guess of it Frank all Gore. Depends what you read, yeah, what you what th- you're listening to, or whatever. I think I think we're going to see a lot of Frank Gore because I, I mean I hope we see some two back sets, which you know I don't think they utilized very well last year with Ty Montgomery and Le'Veon Bell. I thought there was a lot of versatility there you could have done with that backfield, and Adam Gase just did not tap Even into Bilal it last year too. Well, I I. I think that he should have been in the conversation before they found out what P Ryan's injury was mm-hmm. because he's, he tweeted the other day, he's, he's open and he's healthy and he's ready to go if he's ready for a call. Yep. So, you know, bring Bilal back. I think every Jets fan would be perfectly fine with that to cover as a third, fourth running back. Um, but one thing that I saw Connor Hughes talk about on his podcast uh, this past week is the Jets in year three of Sam Darnold are not, setting up Sam Darnold to see what the true quarterback is that sits like in there. This isn't the Bills, new, this isn't news to us really though. 
And yeah, it's really not. If you look at the Buffalo Bills, Mm -hmm. also third year quarterback Josh Allen, they are setting him up for success. They have a very good offensive line. They got Stephon Diggs for him. They have John Brown, and then they have Cole Beasley in the slot. Those are very good wide receivers. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't really have a tight end, I don't think. Maybe they have some rookie, but then, you know, who's their running back? Is it a Singletary? Yeah, Singletary, yeah. Also a pretty good weapon for him. They're giving Josh Allen the weapons to succeed and to see what kind of quarterback he's going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, the Bills made the playoffs last year. We we still really don't know what Josh Allen is. Like, No, we don't. I, I think... You know, everyone says, oh, Sam Darnold has a higher potential than Josh Allen, but Josh Allen has like a a better team around him, a higher floor or something like that. Like, Like but the Jets and, you know, you can say whatever you want about injuries and stuff like that. But we went into the season saying exactly the same thing as Sam Darnold doesn't have any weapons. Yep. Chris Herndon, even when when they are 100 percent healthy going in, even if they were 100 percent healthy. Chris Herndon coming back is a plus, Mm -hmm. but again, he had some problems like breathing yesterday and he went for like an MRI in his lungs or an ultrasound on his lungs, but I guess they found that he was perfectly fine and, or not perfectly fine, but he, you know, he could practice with it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You have to hope that Mims, you know, comes around and is able to produce for this team. You have to hope that Crowder, I mean, the wide receivers coach, uh, Van Jefferson already said that he thinks that he's going to get. Crowder like a hundred plus catches this season, which for a slot receiver being your top catch guy, I don't know how I feel about that. Adam Geese has to find a way to use Le'Veon Bell in the receiving game. And he said that he's going to try and do a better job of that. And is in one of the press conferences more recently, because you can already tell he likes Gore better as a runner Gore is a no nonsense, no BS kind of runner. He just hits the hole and go, and he's going to get four or five yards on a majority of his carries. Le'Veon Bell not that type of runner. Yeah, a patient well, runner waits for the hole, and the Jets' offensive line. We don't know if they're going to be able to create those holes yeah. for him. Well, well, let's talk about the storylines outside of the injuries, and it starts with that Gase and Le'Veon Bell drama slash relationship. Now, you've you, you've been very vocal to me about this whole situation, so you just need this to be you just need this to be over. You just need this to not be a thing. This could be totally I, I, avoided. I think... I think Adam Gase actually handled it very well, and I actually think Le'Veon Bell did not handle it very well because Le'Veon went right to Twitter afterwards. And you can understand why Adam Gase, you know, yes, someone said he had tight hamstrings. You can Adam, you can understand why Adam Gase wants to pull him out of practice and not mm-hmm. give him as many touches because this team is already decimated with injuries. Right. And then Adam Gase said in his press conference when asked about it, I thought me and Le'Veon had a better relationship than this. He no, he should know that he can come to me with anything and we can sit down and have a healthy conversation, a mature conversation about it. It's whatever you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to give Adam Gase credit. He handled sure. this very well. I think this is on Le'Veon Bell, you know, being a, a Twitter warrior or whatever you want to say, going to Twitter, seeing a reporter take it out of context and not, you know, say the full quote. And, you know, that Gase was just being precautious and it says nothing to do with, you know, I, he didn't say this, but an agenda against Le'Veon Bell. Like, I think Lev handled this poorly, and I, I actually give credit to Adam Gase the way he handled this because, mm-hmm. yes, Le'Veon should know that he has a good relation. He said it even in the offseason coming into training camp. 
that him and Coach Gase have a good relationship and there's no issues there. Well, if that's the case, then you should go talk to him and say, hey, coach, why did you why I need more touches? Why did you not give me touches? I need to get ready for the season. Right. Instead of going to Twitter and then complaining about it and starting this whole freaking rigmarole for nothing. And I love how the, some of the beat reporters, too, specifically Rich Samini, say, get ready to blow up a running back controversy. Like, all right, we understand that Gase has a relationship with Gore, right? And then the storyline going back to last year where Gase didn't want, you know, Bell to have that big contract that Mike McCagnan gave to him. This is just another thing that, you know, is out in the media that is just going to stir the pot between, you know, the media coverage, the people that cover the Jets, and the team. And Yeah, know, I mean, we want to talk about beat reporters. Good old Manish oh. apparently has had his credentials revoked. Goodbye. So, uh, Goodbye. He's been spewing a lot less BS lately. Exactly. exactly. Um, He's still reporting on the team, but I don't know how he's reporting on the team when he doesn't have any credentials. Well, to... he probably has. He probably had his current, like his visiting credentials, taken away. Like he's probably can't under, be. At the yeah, facility. but like that's a pretty big part, especially with you know the whole Corona thing. With, True. I don't know. Hey, that's up to the Daily News to uh, figure out what's going on with exactly. that. But uh, I don't. I don't know. It's same old Jets. I. I mean. I, in the beginning, I was, you know, I texted you and I was like, we have to get this clown out of here. But let's be honest, the Jets start two and six or one and seven. He, he's gone by the first day games. Uh, I, I, I don't think Joe Douglas, you know, everyone talks about the relationship that Joe Douglas and Adam Gase has. There's a reason why Chris and Woody Johnson or Chris Johnson gave Joe Douglas a six year contract for this GM mm-hmm. because they have more faith in Joe Douglas than they do Adam Gase. Right, exactly. So then let's and go. And honestly, I trust Joe Douglas to find a head coach, you know. And I think that, you know, the Johnsons eventually have to realize that can you just let Joe Douglas and the GM just do his job? Let the football guys figure it out. But I, I honestly don't know if they're going to ever they're figure that freaks. out. And we know this. They're control freaks. It's unbelievable. So let's go back to that kicking situation. Apparently, Sam Ficken has beaten out Brett Maher for this friggin' kicking position, whatever. Like, Aher was the Cowboys got a kicker last year, yeah, right? Yeah, but like you can't be like just because the guy <laughs> goes four for four on extra points in practice in MetLife Stadium. Oh, he's great. You know, all right, let's let's have Sam Ficken be our kicker. He was terrible last year. He won. I'm all right. He had a game winning kick against uh, I think it was against Oakland last year. All right, great, fantastic. Other than that, the guy could not hit between the pipes last year. He was awful. You can't be confident with Sam Ficken being your stupid kicker. Uh, hey, you know, maybe, maybe you know, we addressed the punter situation, which I don't realize why we had to draft another punter with Lachlan Edwards. You know, he's shown that he is a pretty good punter. And, he was now a member of the Buffalo Bills. So of course, no, I think they released him. Oh, they did? Oh, yeah. Unfortunate. They released their kicker and punter, so <laughs> at the same time. So I don't know. I guess they were both backups or what, but... You know, hey, uh, Brant Boyer said that Braden Mann has very soft hands and is very impressed with what he's seen so far. Wow. So he's going to be punting a lot this year. So, Braden, you know, <laughs> keep, keep that leg healthy. Uh, we're going to need you a lot this year, pal. Yeah, much. But uh, maybe maybe next year, you know, we can, you know, we should have drafted um, who's who's Rodrigo. the guy? Yeah, Blankenship, yeah. Rodrigo Blankenship. Yeah. Should have drafted him. Wouldn't have been dealing with this problem. But hopefully next year we'll draft the kicker. No more Sam freaking Ficken, no. and and his schnoz. we can. Uh, oh. 
the schnoz joe's but, favorite but then like we talked a lot about negatives about this uh jets training camp before the season starts the only real positives here are that okay the jets restructured avery williamson's contract to get you know save some money and but and hopefully he's getting back into the swing of things surely, uh, slowly but surely and then is Mackay Becton. He stayed healthy, and he's made his presence felt at camp just by being a large human, and his teammates love him from what I've seen. So, I mean, that's a real positive thing for for that. And then this season as a whole, we've talked about since the end of last year, this season is about Sam Darnold. And the impact all these injuries in the beginning of camp that have had on Sam is a huge negative. There's no continuity between him and his teammates. There's, you know, can't build connections like, you know, you normally would if you had all your weapons there in training camp. You know, like I said before, he's throwing a practice squad guys in an in, in already depleted wide receiver room. And if they're 100% healthy, like we said before, you know, he's going to have, unfortunately, Sam is now in the position where he's going to have to work with what he has, but it's not much. Like, like you said before, like we've been saying, for like uh, basically since the Jets were done with the off season or done with the uh, free agency period in the draft, we don't know. Like this wide receiver room, these weapons in general outside of Le'Veon Bell are just question mark after question mark. And you know, yes, it's it's gonna be some of it's gonna be on Sam this year. Like we, I think you and I especially have been pretty lenient of Sam and giving him a lot of benefit of the doubt. But he needs to step up, too, and take that next leap that we expect him to. We expect him to play 16 games, no more mono. You know, God forbid something happens to him. You know, he's been injured. He's missed time in his first two seasons here. We expect him to take the step and play 16 games. But in a COVID world, who knows? Yeah. But, uh, go ahead. Like I said before. If you want to compare our situation to the Buffalo Bills, I feel like it's a very good comparison. You know, both in the in the same division, both teams in the same division, both quarterbacks drafted in the same draft. And look at the two situations that the quarterbacks are in. Mm-hmm. The, the Bills have set up for them to find out what Josh Allen is right now and set them up to be a playoff team. While we, um, I mean, I don't think this is a fault of Joe Douglas because he was, you know. This is his first draft. Doing, He's doing his best, and he already tried to rebuild the O-line. Mm-hmm. Like, he did what he could. You know, he didn't get the top-tier guys, but, you know, he, he got some very good – he got, like, right underneath the top-tier guys like Greg Van Roten and Connor McGovern and George Font. And, you know, you have to hope that Becton, you know, performs to what, you know, people have expectations towards. And, um, you know, even looking at – you know, we, we didn't talk about the fight, the – however many weeks ago, mm-hmm. but you can like offense and defense. I feel like don't normally get along very well in training camp, but you can just see like how much, you know, his team, Mikai Becton's teammates likes him, likes him just based on what Jordan Jenkins said about him. Like, you know, they're, they're like really good friends. They have the same agent. Like every time uh, Jenkins gets him with a move, Becton comes over and asks him like what I could have done differently. Or like, what did you see for me on that? That, you know, allowed you to get by me, like stuff like that. Like, I, I I think that, you know, he's in a very good situation to succeed here because he has guys who are actually hopefully somewhat competent next to him. And, you know, it's like the first time that we've actually addressed a line, mm-hmm. you know, in a draft in since, 
since yeah, brick and mangled pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like well, that's it. Yeah. But uh, and then we turn, you know, as we, you know, finish talking about the Jets, we'll move to the Giants in a second. But how the players play is a reflection of Adam Gase, of course. But with all these built-in excuses again, the injuries, oh, the Jets aren't healthy, blah, blah, blah. Naturally, Adam Gase will get a pass. You know, that's just what, you know, I'm not saying we're giving him a pass because, you know, we're some of the harshest critics on Adam Gase. That's, you know, it probably took a lot for you just to say that Adam Gase handled that Le'Veon Bell situation okay because we don't like to give him credit because we've seen what he does. But, you know, naturally, if the Jets don't start the season healthy, Adam Gase is going to start making excuses and getting passes. Oh, we're not healthy. Oh, we couldn't execute the game plan because we don't have X, Y, and Z. No. I'm sorry. That cannot happen this year. There's no room for that. Okay? You're yes. not starting the season healthy. You know, oh, we're not we're not healthy, so it's okay to be bad. No, I'm sorry. That's not the excuse. Now, it's one thing if the Jets are competitive and in close games and they lose just because they don't have the talent. Okay? That's one thing. We can handle that. I'm not saying we're going to handle losing. You know, we're going to come on here and rip the Jets when they lose a game this year. That's just That's just how it is. And we're going to praise them when they win. But... If you're competitive and lose, fine. But if you're getting blown out like they did last year against uh, the Eagles, against the Patriots, but if you're getting blown out and the excuses start coming in, that cannot fly this year. We as fans, the media members, they got to hold Adam Gase accountable. The organization has to hold Gase accountable this year. Good head coach, we've said this time and time again, good head coaches game plan for stuff like this. Put players in their positions, the best positions, Adam Gase is just going to throw these practice squad guys in there if they have to play and say, run my offense my way. That can't happen this year. I'm not taking the, we're not healthy, we're going to get them next week because we're going to have X, Y, and Z back. I'm not doing that this year. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit it spot on. Like, we can't use injuries as an excuse again because obviously, you know, this is a stated thing about Adam Gase, but it's notorious for him that he has players get injured in practice, especially training camp all the time. Yeah. And make this was a problem in Miami too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, seems to not, you know, be willing to change his ways of, you know, how to run training camp and stuff like that. But this is a legitimate problem. Like we've had what 16, 17, 18 days of training camp. And, you know, like half our starters seem to be hurt. Like, and it's on both sides of the ball. I mean, it does seem like it's more offense-driven with, you know, the wide receivers and uh, stuff like that. But, you know, it, sometimes enough is enough. And, like, there, you, like, there's nothing Joe Douglas can do at this moment. Like, there's not, like, that many – there's really no, you know, veteran free agents out there that are being cut as of right now. I mean – I don't think he was ever going for Logan Ryan because he was looking to be a safety and not a corner. Uh-huh. And, you know, I don't think Jadavion Clowney is anywhere near a Joe Douglas kind of guy. He's like a terrible locker room guy and plays when he wants to. Like, there's really not that much out there. What do you want to go and sign Demarius Thomas and bring him back? I mean, he had some success as a Jet, but is that going to really like excite you? And, and, you know, if they're going to do that, they have to do it soon because he has to go through the whole COVID protocol and everything uh-huh. like that. Like, I don't know. I, we're just going to have to hope that we get healthy sooner rather than later. And, you know, I I agree. The excuses can't, you know, be a thing yeah. because they're just setting this franchise back more. Yep. And they're hurting, you know, Sam Darnold that much more as well. 
pal, think about this. In a week, probably in a week and a half from now, we'll be yelling and screaming, either joyful because the Jets are 1-0 or pissed and express that as they are 0-1. <laughs> I mean, let's just hope that they're competitive and they don't blow a freaking 16-point lead again. Well, let's see. We'll see what happens. All right, let's move on to the New York Giants. Um, they've battled a little bit of injury bugs as well. David Mayo tore, tearing his meniscus, not ideal. You know, he's a backup linebacker, but did serve some purpose last year for the Giants on defense. The big hit, though, was second-round rookie safety Xavier McKinney with his foot injury. Won't start the year. He could be back maybe by the week 11 bye week. Big hit. Big a hit. Huge blow, especially with a defense that doesn't have any talent on it already. Exactly. A big hit for the Giants. They look to be, you know... McKinney looked to be a very promising partner next to Jabril Peppers. And now I hear that the Giants are looking to maybe move Peppers to safety. Uh, no, I'm sorry, to corner. Not, uh, I don't know about that. Because, you know, the DeAndre Baker situation, they're going to part ways with him. And it should be this week, maybe. Yeah, um, I did see, uh, I think it was SNY said it, that DeAndre Baker expects to be released this week. Yeah. So. And then linebacker Blake Martinez, a free agent acquisition from the Packers. He has a foot injury. I think he's more so taking it easy. And Joe Judge wants him to play week one, obviously. So I think he'll be ready to go. And then Golden Tate is day-to-day with a hamstring. So not as serious injury-wise as the Jets are. But the McKinney thing, you know, he's not going to be ready for like 10 or so weeks. So yeah, that's a big hit. Because he just had surgery, I think, yeah, like had, last week. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, the Golden Tate thing, um, I guess it's crucial to Daniel Jones. It is crucial to Daniel Jones. You know, very veteran presence at wide receiver. He's not fantastic. He's not the player he once was in Seattle. But solid player. He's probably their number one wide receiver uh, next to Shepard and Slayton. But they need those guys to step up now. Shepard has to be healthy this year. Evan Ingram has to be healthy this year. And I think he already missed the, the MetLife scrimmage. Evan Ingram did. Great. Awesome. He didn't play in it. Oh, my God. And then they need that second-year boost from Darius Slayton because if they expect him to be what they think he can be, he can turn into a number-one wide receiver. But um, that's really it on the Giants' uh, injury front. I want to talk about Joe Judge, really, because I think he's been the biggest storyline, you know, outside of, you know, the players. I really am enjoying the approach that Joe Judge is taking. You know, we saw the videos yesterday of him sliding in the mud after footballs. I think that's fun. You know, the Giants need to have, you know, they're a very buttoned-up type franchise, one of the oldest franchises in the NFL. They need to have some fun once in a while, right? But the thing about Judge is that no-nonsense, disciplined guy. He's got players and coaches running laps when they do something wrong. (laughs) I love this. Love it. Yeah. And he's not afraid to call out his players, when, you know, when they do something wrong. But it's so refreshing for the Giants to see this. McAdoo and Shermer didn't hold these guys accountable, didn't hold their players accountable, didn't hold their coaches accountable. That's why they are no longer here. And I kind of agree with this, but then I kind of don't. You know, the the thing is, Joe Judge is trying to be like Bill Belichick. Listen. There's nothing wrong with trying to be like the best head coach to ever step foot on a sideline. It's okay to take things that you've learned, and he's also learned under Nick Saban. So it's okay to take things that you learned from Belichick, from Saban, and promote that to your team. But the thing is with the Giants, they're a young team. They need to be put in check, you know? And I like Joe Judge because he seems like an old-school type of coach. Special teams guy. He seems like a John Harbaugh type. 
when you think about it. Yeah. Not just because they were both special teams coordinators that turned head coaches, but Joe Judge comes from a very good coaching tree. Not just Belichick. Well, Belichick's coaching tree, not so good. You know, turned out, you know, when you're talking about assistants turning head coaches. Saban's coaching tree, I mean, just coming from these two guys, Joe Judge obviously loves football. He knows football if you're coming from these two coaches, and these two coaches have such high praise of you. But now he's kind of showing why the Giants hired him. Because he's disciplined, but he also at the same time can have fun. The Giants haven't had a tough, hard-nosed head coach since Tom Coughlin. I, I honestly, I love what I'm seeing from Joe Judge. I'm not watching the Giants, you know, intensely as, you know, in training camp. But I'll tell you one thing. Joe Judge is going to have these guys ready to play week one against Dallas. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't see them winning the game, but no. yeah, it's definitely true that he's going to have them ready to play. And, you know, it's very good that he's showing that he can be his own guy because a lot of, you know, the talk around Joe Judge is that is he just going to be a Belichick clone? Is he just going to try and, you know, build the Giants as the Patriots and, you know, literally just mold himself after Belichick, not speaking to the media, have a personality like a cardboard box? Like, he's showing that, you know, he can take bits and pieces, like you said, of Saban, of Belichick, but he can also, you know, be his own person. Like, you know, you see him diving in the mud and, You'll never see Saban or Belichick do that. No. You won't even see Belichick freaking smile. No. Like, you know, I think it's big for him to be his own his own person, his own you know head coach, run his team his own way because that's going to be the way that he gets guys to you know really rally around. And uh, I think the Giants have a really good head coach here that you know it's going to be able to build them back up into the New York Giants that you know we've experienced for the past ten years of you know winning two Super Bowls and. You know, being a successful team that makes the playoffs every year. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately. I but, envy that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you have to. But, um, of course, the Giants season, like the Jets and Sam Darnold, it's all about second year of Daniel Jones. And I don't know why this isn't really being brought up so much, but, like, does Daniel Jones have enough weapons to really get it done? You know what I mean? Like, Evan Ingram, not so healthy. You know, Darius Slayton being a second-year rookie. You know, Golden Tate being older. Sterling Shepard is injury-prone. Like, one of those guys go down, two of those guys go down, you're like, oh, like, they're kind of... And their offensive line is nothing to ride home about either. Andrew Thomas at left tackle. You know, Nate Solder opted out for the season. They're going to be starting two rookies at the tackle position. So there's questions there, obviously. Andrew Thomas... You know, from what we've seen as a prospect, it's fantastic. There's a reason they took him so high. But then you look on the right side, it's Matt Pert, the rookie from UConn. And then the questions, well, Hernandez is good, but they got Pulley at center and Kevin Zeitler. I mean, on paper, it looks like a good offensive line. But, I mean, you lose one of those guys, you got to put in, like, a Nick Gates, a Cameron Fleming. They're kind of screwed. Yeah, and the Giants have had offensive line depth issues the past couple of years, like... They always have one guy get hurt and then, you know, there's one hole and then they're trying to move guys around and it creates another hole. And I think, you know, you saw last year, Daniel Jones struggled with ball security of, you know, however many fumbles he had, guys were getting to the quarterback way too easily against the Giants. And, you know, we talk about, at least me, you know, the offensive line is a huge part of a quarterback's, you know, maturity and yeah, development and, uh, just like the maturation process in the NFL, like 
I I've think I think very strongly that one of the reasons why Sam Darnold hasn't been able to really tap into his full potential is because he hasn't had an offensive line to block anyone for him. Yep. Like uh, you have to hope that that's not the case with Daniel Jones and the Giants have to, you know, figure that out really quick. And I, I think we'll see week one with, you know, Everson Griffin and um, Robert Quinn on the, on the Cowboys. You're going to see real quick how Matt Pert and Andrew Thomas are going to be able to handle, you know, a pass rush. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so that's really it from Giants camp. Pal, I can't believe we're a week away from football. I'm very excited. I no. cannot wait. We'll have college football this weekend. and I mean, no like big-time college football, no. but you know, at least Army plays. And There's sure. a Navy-BYU on Monday night primetime. If you're into uh, that the, kind uh, of college football, of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ACC, <laughs> SEC, they're still playing, right? I mean, they're The SEC starts the end of September. Uh, the Big 12, I think. Okay, hold on. Pause before sure. we move off football. Oklahoma is playing like Missouri State or something like that. Their first week, I think it's cupcake. September twelfth. It's a cupcake. They're showing the game on pay per view broadcast only. Why? <laughs> Why? The country has no football. Nothing. Could you imagine how many people would want to watch Oklahoma Week One around the country? Pay per view. Well, I mean, money. Is what cash. are you doing? Yeah, cash is gonna flow, pal. That's how. Uh, I mean, they need. I guess they need to make up somewhat for uh, no fans in the stands. Oklahoma, I'm sure they're fine. Kids with the cash. Yeah, I mean, you can't give like, the cash. To the, you can't give the cash to the kids, so you got to give it somewhere, right? I guess. <laughs> it's like, come on. Uh, I know. Pay per view. Uh, I know. I know. Hey, instead you can watch uh, Army and hmm, forget who they're playing week two. I think it's some scrub. Well. Hold At on, least that's free. Me... Well, you just pay your cable bill. At least that's free. True. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not. I'm not advocating this, but Reddit or any sort of stream platform is no, a beautiful. You know what? Place. Advocate it. It's fine. Advocate it. It's fine. Yeah. That's how we freaking yeah, watch games. I mean, yeah, you're here at school. I have no cable. Can't afford it. You know, maybe if you drop the price a little bit for your cable company, I'll be able to afford it. So now because you charge too much, I'm watching it illegally. Thank you. At Optimum, at Cablevision, at all. No, it's Comcast. At Comcast, oh, whatever. Xfinity. Oh. <laughs> Terrible. All right. Probably so we've hit our first short. We've heard our first. Oh, here we go. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry That's to okay. cut you off. That's September right. 12th. Army plays Louisiana Monroe. Wow. What a barn burner. Is it uh, is Army home? Yes. I'll take them all the way. Go Black Knights. Louisiana Monroe. Then they have two very difficult games coming up after that with BYU coming to Army on the CBS television network. <laughs> so that is... <laughs> not. I don't know why, why, why all of a sudden it's at the CBS television network and not just CBS. I don't know. Don't know. But that is on national television. Wow. The cadets will go crazy for national television. That's right. And then they play Cincinnati after that, and then they will have a t- two tough games against after that Abilene Christian <laughs> and the Citadel. Oh, the Citadel! Oh boy, strap it! Doesn't the, don't the Citadel play like Alabama every year, and that's like their cup? I one think of their so. Cupcake I games. think there's some sort of military academy too. That's one of their. That's one of Alabama's five cupcake games during the year. Wow, hold on. After after Cincinnati, they play Abilene Christian, the Citadel, UTSA, and then Mercer. Wow. <laughs> So if, Army, if, so if Army loses any of those games, how pissed will you be? <laughs> oh, wait, and then they play Air Force, Tulane, Georgia Southern, and the Navy. Yeah. I mean, so. I mean, Army should go undefeated this year. At least have a win. I mean, I don't know about that. Cincinnati's 20th in the country. All right, well. 
We'll see what happens. Maybe they'll actually be able to close it out against a ranked opponent. The past two years, they haven't done so well against, or they've been into in the game until the end, and they could have beaten Oklahoma and Michigan. But uh, hey, you know what? They gave it their all. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's all you'd <laughs> ask for. But you got all season to talk about Army football, so I guess that means we'll take a break. We've done our first forty. <laughs> 44 minutes. Wow. Our first 44 minutes of episode number 117. So we will take a break. When we come back, we will talk Yankees and all the animosity going on with those damn Tampa Bay Rays and uh, that wonderful seven-game losing streak that they were on and how panicky we were and all that stuff. And then we'll talk about the Mets. A lot of, uh, not so much, I mean, there is some good. Not on the field, though. So we'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Tri-State Sports Beat. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Welcome back to episode number 117 of the Tri-State Sports. Be Nick and Scott here. We just talked everything Jets and Giants as football season is a, about a week away. So now let's get to the diamond. And um, we've been pretty, uh, I would say, very frustrated with our New York Yankees right now. Now, they're 20 and 14. Nothing crazy to be really pissed about, right? Three and a half games back of Tampa really irks me. But we'll get into that in a little bit for first in the American League East. Coming off of three straight losses to Tampa when we last talked to you guys, Subway Series was obviously pushed off uh, due to the Mets' COVID-19 outbreak. After that, they lost two to Atlanta and then took three of five from the Mets in the Subway Series. Um, first off, let's talk about some good and some, you know, some bad, and then we'll get into the what happened last night. Uh, Scott, your boy, Luke Voigt, has been on fire. He's been fantastic. Unbelievable. You know, he's he their a fire host. To he put him is out. their best player right now, offensive player right now. It's not even close. Three home runs, seven RBIs in the last eight games. And when DJ LeMahieu was out, who was also raking, hit two home runs last night and hitting almost freaking, he's hitting over 400 right now. Uh, you know, he found a good spot in the leadoff position while DJ was out, which was, you know, you don't see that often, a big guy like Luke Voigt playing leadoff, but uh, it was very interesting to see. Maybe he's got a future. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But who would ever thought that Luke Voigt, at any time in this season, would be tied for the league lead in home runs? Doesn't that just put a smile on your face? Like, Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. Right? Who would have <laughs> ever thought that, like, and the Yankees traded what for him? Like, Chasing Shreve. Oh, goodness. Oh, thank you. Thank you, St. Louis. But, <laughs> and then, again, leads the team in every major hitting category at the moment. So, and what's also great is that now you're not seeing so much of Mike Ford. So now Luke Voigt is really just taking the opportunity and running with it. With all these injuries, the Yankees are counting on him to be that big bat. And he has produced. Because a certain other supposed big bat... Just doesn't want to show up this year, I guess. We'll get into him in a little bit. But the offense would be absolutely anemic without Luke Voigt. I mean, these past eight games, you know, last night against Tampa, he goes two for four, doesn't drive in any runs, but he's getting contact on the bat. It's fantastic. He goes two singles, one for four the night before, uh, drives in two runs, uh, fell into an for in the 5-2 to two win against the Mets, uh, two RBIs in the slugfest, 8-7, to seven game against the Mets he's just been fantastic and he's just a joy to watch I could only like you're the biggest Luke Voigt fan that I know (laughs) so I could only imagine whenever he puts you know bat on ball and it lands in the grass how you feel yeah it's fantastic and 
I'm not really sure what his contract looks like. I have a feeling that it's up after this year, or he doesn't have much arbitration left after this year, but freaking Brian Cashman better bring him back because if there was ever a conversation about, oh, we have a uh, a competition at first base between Mike Ford and Luke Voigt, uh, how about we shut the door on that conversation because Mike Ford's hitting sub 200 and Luke Voigt is hitting above 300 right now, leading the league in home runs and above, I think he's in the top five in OPS. Mm-hmm. Like he is literally tied in home runs with Mike freaking trout. Like <laughs> not Mike, like, literally uh, trout talkman, Mike trout, the real Mike trout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he has been unbelievable this year. And um, yeah, he is a free agent after this year. At least he's not under contract. I don't know what his arbitration years look like and stuff like that. Or if he's still under team control, but uh, yeah, he has four more years of arbitration. So the Yankees will probably hold on to him for four more years, uh, depending on you know what the market looks like, depending on if they want to sign him to a long-term deal. I mean, next year will be his age 30 season. Mm-hmm. So, but if you think about it, he was, you know, a, mi- a minor leaguer pretty much, you know, his, a majority of his career coming up before he was traded to the Yankees. So you have to hope that, you know, he'll be able to uh, hang around for a while and, you know, the Yankees will be able to continue to reap the benefits of having Luke Voigt in the lineup. Yeah, true. But he's been unbelievable. So let's talk about the three other guys that we, I seem that we talk about probably the most on here, Clint Frazier, Gio Urshela, and Mike Talkman. All three of them, I guess you could say, have cooled down in like from, in about two weeks or so, Clint Frazier last night, who made a absolutely phenomenal diving play. You said literally Superman, and you would be correct. He looked like it. He did. You know, still, he's hitting 292, but, I mean, hasn't had the RBI numbers since really, he hasn't hit for an RBI since game one loss against the Mets, where he had three of them. So he made his impact felt there, but hasn't, you know, they've come few and far between a little bit. And then Gio Rochella last night, who, you know, Hits for contact, and the RBIs, you know, have come and gone, you know, for a little bit. Still effective on defense, and you got to account for him in the lineup. But last night, he freaking drives in three runs on an awesome inside-the-park home run, and that's an amazing slide by Gio. Um, yeah. Hopefully that gets him going, you know, a little bit more. You know, he had some pop about, like, I'd say about a month ago. He was really showing off the pop that he has in the baseball, as long, and, and as well as his awesome defensive ability that's just as consistent as I've ever seen watching the Yankees play. And then my guy, Mike Talkman. Okay, hitting 264, but he's getting good contact on the ball. It's, you know, some of it's just not falling for him. Talkman was pretty good. You know, again, these guys all started slowing down about the same time. You know, these guys started getting injured, and this is when the Yankees were really starting to, you know, slow down and lose games. So, it's... You know, these guys need to be effective if the Yankees want to keep winning. I mean, Urshela made the play that he did. Talkman got, you know, got on base last night. And, you know, Frazier made his presence felt in right field. So these guys have to be effective if the Yankees want to keep winning and get past and eventually get past the Rays. There's 25 games left. The Yankees are down three and a half games to the Rays. It's not impossible mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. But those, I think those three guys are the ones that have to be effective if the Yankees want to get out of this slump that they've been in. Yeah. And the Yankees have a very easy end of the season. They, you know, finish up, they play no more games against the Rays after tonight, after this series ends, then they have one game against the Mets. Uh, I don't know. Is it tomorrow? I think they mm-hmm. finish up like, uh, they make up one of the games it's that just, got yeah, canceled game. because of COVID. Um, 
and then they, you know, have a stretch of games against the Orioles, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays. So, you know, not the the hardest ending to the season. You know, we don't really know what the Blue Jays are going to be. I don't think the Yankees have played the Blue Jays yet. No, this they got to play them all ten times. They're going to be playing the Blue Jays a lot in the next like month. Yeah, or so. and you know, they pretty much rebuilt their entire starting rotation through the trade deadline. Uh, I think they required Taiwan Walker, um, Mike Miner, and someone else. Um, was it Rob? Was it so, Robbie Ray or Robbie Wagner? Yes. Ray? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, maybe maybe they got Ross Stripling instead of Mike Miner. I, I don't know. But they were they acquired three uh, three new starting pitchers for that uh, for that rotation. So it'll be interesting to see how the Blue Jays. You know, they're, clearly they're trying to make a run at it. Um, but hopefully, I think Bobuchet is hurt. So um, you know, hopefully they won't have they won't have to worry about him. I mean. They they still have a, a decent lineup with Flatty and uh, Kevin Biggio and you know the, the, the Blue Jays are going to be good for the next couple of years. you know they have a really good core so for, as long as they can hold on to Bobuchet and Flatty and all them they'll they'll be good for I think the foreseeable future. I'll let you lead this one off because I have I have some stuff to say about uh good old Gary Sanchez but I'll let you start. I mean if you just look at Friday alone how many times did he come up to bat with. You know, runners on base, runners in scoring position. I think the nightcap he had bases loaded and popped out into short left uh, left center field. Uh, he could have had like five, six, seven RBIs if he could actually just hit the ball uh, on Friday. And then, of course, you know everyone rips him, and he then you know comes up huge on Sunday with the the grand slam, the winning the uh, the winning runs in that game, which was weird because. It wasn't a walk-off, but they were in Yankee Stadium, which was kind of weird to... A home game, but not a home game. Yeah, so... But everyone was saying, oh, you have to hope that this is a spark. Well, he hasn't really done much since since that. No. And... Since that... uh, Since that um, Grand Slam against the Mets, the game-winning pinch hit Grand Slam against the Mets, he's gone an awesome 0 for 7. Yep. So... Honestly, to be expected at this point. Higashioka's coming back, and... It should be interesting to see if, you know, Higashioka gets more playing time now because Gary couldn't hit the freaking ball if it was a watermelon. No. Can we just say that right now, Gary Sanchez is hitting 124. You know, you know who has a better average? Or Kratz. And, well, yes. But this guy has only played like 12 games this year. Miguel Duhar has a better average than Gary Sanchez, and he's played 12 games this year. And he's four for 31. In twelve games, just set, let that settle a little bit. Catch? I don't, no, he can't. Obviously, you've seen him in left field. You've seen him at third base. He can't catch. Yeah. He can't do nothing. But Gary Sanchez is just freak. At this point, it's embarrassing. And the thing is, I never thought we'd be ripping Gary Sanchez for his bat. I thought this would all be about defense. If you were to say last year that this year we'd be ripping Gary Sanchez because he's hitting one twenty four and he, you know. I don't know what his at-bat stats for you know the whole season are, but they're not good. If you were to tell me that Gary Sanchez was hitting 124 with 25 games to go in a 60-game season, I'd say, get the hell out of here. Like, Gary's back. I have those for you. Yeah. Oh, you do? Please. Yeah, he's had 89 at-bats this year in 29 games. He has a solid 11 hits, and he has 39 strikeouts. So he's 11 for 89 with how many? With 39 yes. strikeouts? 39 strikeouts, he has 10 walks, 
14 RBIs and six home runs. So six of his 11 hits are home runs. But here's the thing that pisses me off the most. Judge, Stanton, Torres, all out, right? Gary Sanchez is supposed to be the guy that's supposed to be stepping up. We know that Gary, Scott, you and I both know, Gary Sanchez is not a 124 hitter. He's just not. But... Listen, I'm glad that Luke Voigt is the one that's stepping up and and DJ is back. Fantastic. But if you were to tell me last year, again, Judge Stanton, Torres, all out, and you need one guy to carry on offense, it should be Gary Sanchez. It should be. And the thing, the, the worst part about it is there's nothing the Yankees can do about this because it's either... Kyle Higashioka, who we'll see if he gets more playing time, and Eric Kratz, who's freaking 40 years old. And the Yan- and you know what? Not to mention that the Yankees are leading the league in injuries. I don't know if that's a real stat, but they are. So there's nothing that, you know, there's nothing Brian Cashman can really do here other than an Aaron Boone say that they really don't have another option. You really going to play Kyle Higashioka? I'm sorry, but he's nothing fantastic. Eric Kratz is 40 years old. He's not the future at the catching position. They really don't have a choice. They kind of have their hands tied here. Now, Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman, of course, they're going to stick up for Gary. Whether they should, I don't think so. But that's what they're going to do. But they really don't have any other choice. So any Yankee fan out there that's saying, give up on Sanchez, what's the? what are you going to do instead? You're okay with playing Kyle Higashioka? Okay. Where's that going to get you? He's going to hit 130 instead of 124? You know, where's the trade-off here? Higashioka's defense is better? Okay, maybe. But the Yankees have their hands tied with Gary Sanchez at this point. So there's no even saying, get rid of him, you know, do whatever you want. There's no, there's no point. And then you think, Gary Sanchez hits that grand slam, you know, We'll call it a walk-off Grand Slam. It was a Yankee home game, but whatever. Just when you think, like, maybe, just maybe, Gary can turn it around, he goes, now he's 0 for 7. Now you're like, what now? But the the point is, the Yankees don't have a choice with him, and it's, I don't know. You pretty much hit it right on the head. Like, you know, we always used to have Austin Romine behind Gary for, you know, just to push him, and, you know, Romine was a very, very good backup catcher, and, you know, you can understand if he wanted to leave and go get, you know, regular playing time with the Tigers. I mean, I don't even – it's either starting uh, – um, I, I haven't really – yeah, I'm going to look it up and see. I'm not an avid follower of the Detroit Tigers. <laughs> yeah, but, like, yeah, Romine is hitting 291 with two home runs, 14 RBIs, and 10 runs. We will take that in a heartbeat from – you know. Um, he has played in 22 games, batting 291. So, uh, it's just, you know, frustrating that, you know, he has pretty much been an everyday starter for the Tigers. I don't know what their record is and how many games they've actually played as a team, but, you know, it seems like he's playing every single day and it's just unbelievable how bad Gary is. Mm-hmm. Like who would have thought that he would have been this freaking horrible? No. Exactly. Let's move to pitching. Whatever Yankee fan right now that is worrying about Garrett Cole, please stop. Please stop. Like, okay, Garrett Cole has shown that he's human. He's lost two of his last three starts, giving up 12 home runs, most in Major League Baseball. 
I understand there's concern here, and I'm not going to spend too much time talking about this. I understand there's concern, but we cannot overreact. He's fine. He's fine. The guy is human. Jacob DeGrom has bad starts now and again. It's going to happen to Garrett Cole. That's all I'm going to say about that. I don't know if you want to say anything about it, but, like, (laughs) any Yankee fan that's going to worry about Cole is just... There's a track record of him, like, not being great, like, through the first couple starts of the season. I think last year he had around the seed, like, a 3-6 ERA maybe until, like, May, Mm -hmm. which is equivalent of the same amount of starts, I think, that he's made so far. And then in the playoffs, he had a 1.07 ERA and uh, was, like, completely shut down. And also, I saw something the other day on Instagram. CC also had, like, a 3-8-something ERA in the first his first season or first however many starts equivalent to Garrett Cole. And Roger Clemens had a 4.2 ERA. Exactly. So, it's a transition. It's a new team. You know, a new league. It, it, yeah. Well, no, he oh, was no, in the American not, League sorry. last year. Um. It's just, you know, kind of concerning the fact that, you know, in his press conference the other night, people asked, do you think he's tipping pitches? And he is, like, completely convinced he's not tipping pitches. And he, like, literally is like is very, you know, I don't want to use the word dumbfounded, but, you know, he's confused about the whole thing. Mm. But he thinks that, you know, pitchers tip every couple pitches or whatever like that. But, you know, it, he shows the dedication he has to trying to figure it out. And... This is going to be Matt Blake's first test as the Yankees pitching coach to, you know, figure this out and get it right because, you know, Chad Green not looking great lately. You know, we didn't even get to Chapman yet about the whole freaking crap that's going on right now. But, like, Matt Blake is starting to hit a little bit of adversity with his pitching staff. You know, this is the beginning to see what he can do. People called him, like, the pitching wizard or something like that because, you know, we're so used to Larry Rothschild and the lack of analytics and the lack of technology that he used that Mac Blake now comes in and uses all the analytics and all the technology and all the video and all this freaking crap. Like just, just fix them. I don't care what you use. Just, just figure it out. Yeah, exactly. But what, like one positive we could take right now, as far as the Yankees rotation right now, because everyone seems to be panicking about Cole, Davey Garcia's first start was fantastic. Fantastic. Six innings, four hits, one run, six strikeouts against the Mets. Okay, it's against the Mets. You know, they can't hit, you know, small continents with runners in scoring position. But, Davey Garcia, well, you know, we stood here for probably for about two weeks, and we mentioned, the, the you know, the option of Davey Garcia, and we said he's not ready. He went out there, pitched a major league lineup, let's be real, and was good. It was fantastic. So I got to give him props there, and then once he pitches a great game, the Yankees send him back down to the alternate site. But it is what it is. Um, the but he's coming back up. I just saw he's coming back up to pitch Friday against one of the games against the Orioles. So right, very good news. That is music to my ears. He'll be the 29th man again. Mm-hmm. So then we get to the bullpen. Zach Britton was out. He's back now. Pitched great last night against the Rays for an inning. Ottavino, Chapman, you know, they gave up their share of runs versus the Mets. And then Chad Green, who's been, <laughs> for the most part, all season long, has been lights out. For the most part of the season, he's had a sub-1 ERA. But two of his last three outings, you know, he gave up two runs against the Braves and then the three runs in, in one inning of work against the Mets. We'll say getting Zach Britton back will help and go a long way. But, you know, then, you know, now we got to get on Aaron Boone before we get to the whole thing last night. He continue. I don't know about you, but he continues to freaking kill me. First off, 
I don't know why this really pissed me off so much. It was it was one of the doubleheader games. I think it was game one of one of the doubleheaders against the Mets. Gary Sanchez right now should not be even sniffing a top four spot in the lineup. Moron. Yeah. Idiot. But here's the thing about Boone, right? He loves and cannot wait to get to his bullpen, right? Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Okay. But he never has anybody up ready to go in a right situation. Chad Green gives up three runs in less than an inning against the Mets, and you have no one warming up behind him? We <laughs> talked about this before. Too. We talked about this you know, off the air, too. What are you doing? You're losing the game now. How? Like, okay, Chad Green's your best reliever. You want him to get him out of it. But you got nobody warming up? Nobody, not a, not on a vino. Listen, if you if, if you even had Luis Avilon warming up, I'd be like, okay, he's got somebody warming up in the pen. Great. Nobody. Nobody. Stupid ass. Ugh. <laughs> but the but the thing and then and then the thing about Masahiro Tanaka. Thank the Lord, because I was gonna come on here and destroy Aaron Boone if Masahiro Tanaka did not pitch. More than sixty pitches. Now, the thing, the you know, the comments came out that his last start before this one, that Tanaka was gassed after sixty plus pitches. All right, if that if he's really gassed, okay, take him out. But that's another problem on its own. Now Tanaka didn't look gassed last night, which believes me to think that Boone was just trying to cover his own ass and give himself a reason for taking out Tanaka for no reason whatsoever. So. Boone's just a stupid ass for taking him out for no reason. And then, I'm so, like like I said, so happy Tanaka threw 80-plus pitches last night. You know, he screwed up. You know, I think Kiermaier just hit a good ball last night. Low and away, you know, curveball hung up a little bit. Kiermaier golfed at it and it went up going into the right field seats. Other than that, Tanaka was lights out last night. So, but... Boone, I continue to scratch my head at Aaron Boone, and the true his true managing skills, I think, are really showing, or lack thereof skills, because the big stars are not in the lineup right now. Your thoughts on the wonderful manager of the New York Yankees? I mean, it's fair to say, you know, he's had... I mean, you can't fault the job that he did last no. year. No, or the or year you before. Can't, you can't say anything about that, because, no. you know, the difference between last year and this year is... The, the guys that are in there for the starters that are hurt aren't stepping up the way they did last year. Look at Brett Gardner. He's not playing the same as he did last year. Um, I mean, you have Clint Frazier coming in who, you know, did play a little bit last year but didn't see a lot of playing time. Uh, Gio, you know, has been good but hasn't been, you know, as good as he was last year, only hitting 250. I mean, if you look at this team, they're hit, they have the 17th best batting average in the league. They're hitting 245. The, the leading batting average is is Luke Voigt with a 308 average. Then next is Gio Urshela. Well, so I don't understand. I don't know if DJ doesn't uh, qualify, because but he has he, a 40. I, I think it's over the past like 10 games or so. Oh, well, on Yahoo, anyway. he, he's not on here, but obviously DJ has a 402 batting average. So, but if you look at that for guys that are, you know, that's weird. Yahoo's. Yeah. You gotta fix your crap here, uh, Yahoo. I don't know. <laughs> Yahoo has team leaders as Luke Voigt number one, Gio Urshela then at two fifty, and Aaron Hicks at two twenty. I don't know. F- fix it, Yahoo. What are you doing? 
But, you know, 17th best batting average. You can thank Gary for probably bringing that down with his 124. And uh, Gardner with his 169. Tyler Wade. Why do people love Tyler Wade? Can I, I ask no, a question? I have no idea. Why do people love Tyler Wade? I don't know. He's hitting 171. You like him just because he runs fast? Like, like that Mike Ford like... hitting 182. Like, I mean, it's not – It's it, Jordy Mercer, like, I texted you the other night, I think. Like, who would have thought the Yankees in 2020, we would be saying, oh, an Eric Kratz single scores Jordy Mercer. <laughs> like, like, what are we doing? I don't know. Like, the injuries this year, honestly, you could argue have been worse than last year. Like, Klaber, I, may, did he make one IL stint last year? Probably. DJ played an entire season last year. Like, it's just, like, out of control at this point. And, like – I think, you know, Aaron Boone is doing what he can with the lineup, but his mismanagement of the pitching staff has been, you know, a glaring issue because Tanaka's pitched gems in, like, the games he's pitched. I think he's had one bad game. And, like, finally, thank you, we finally stretched him out to, you know, somewhat uh, respectable pitch count at 88 last night. Like, thank you. We finally, you know, actually gave him a – decent starters haul uh, of pitches but you know could we put him out for the seventh uh, i mean maybe tanaka told him again that he was tired i don't know but i literally infuriated me on friday when chad green gave up freaking the home run to pete then a the home run to don smith and then the freaking jake barisnik no one's in the bullpen nope no one's in the bullpen he chad green at that point Gave up four home runs to the last ten batters that he faced, but we we don't have anyone ready and waiting just in case you know he implodes again. Stop being a clown! Like, come on, what are we doing? Uh, I don't know. That's that's the question I'm asking you. I, guess, I mean, like I said, I think that the true, you know true mantra of Aaron Boone right now and his true quote-unquote managing skills are showing because stars are not in the lineup. Stanton, Torres, Judge, not in the lineup to bat to, you know, protect them. You know, because when he makes mistakes, they get bailed out by Judge hitting a two-run home run or, you know, Glaber hitting a big hit in a big spot. You know, that's how you bail your manager out. If your manager's not great, that's how you bail him out. Yeah. But, but, I mean, now no excuses. I mean, still no excuse for Aaron Boone. I mean, if he did it last year... Probably the only difference is Gary's just playing so bad that, yeah. you know, that's what's making – that's so, a huge part of the difference between last year and this year. And the bullpen was, you know, very solid for a majority of the year last year. Right now, Chad Green can't figure it out. Britain was hurt. Canely, you had a healthy Canely last year. He has Tommy John. I mean, Adovino doesn't look great. And I don't know what Aaron Boone's, you know, reasoning for is why he won't pitch out of Eno in big spots lately. I mean, he brought out in like the fourth inning the other night. Against he'd the rather, Mets. Like, he'd rather go to a guy like Holder or Loisaga who gave up a home run last night to make it like a two run game. So Chapman had to come in the game. Well, thank goodness. Luis Avalon is gone. Oh, thank God. Thank the good Lord. He is gone. So let's talk about <laughs> last night now to finish out the Yankee talk. Um, Suspensions came down as we were trying to figure out our technical difficulties here. But before we talk about that, first off, you know, I'll try to play a little bit, you know, down the middle here. But the fact that Chapman, whether he threw at him or not, 
The guy, you know, Chapman could have killed that guy with a 101 mile an hour fastball to the dome. That guy could have been, yeah. that guy could have been killed. Like that's something you don't really joke with, but uh, what if it was intentional or not? It was dangerous. Do you, I, I don't really think it was intentional. I don't. Th- I mean, Chapman's been disciplined for this kind of thing before, so it's kind of hard to tell whether it was intentional or not. These teams both hate each other. I love it. I hate the Rays. Um, but the thing with Kevin Cash last night after the game, and you know, and Chapman, you know. Doesn't hit. Uh, what the hell, what the hell was the guy's name? You know, I don't even know the guy's the batter's name that Chapman almost hit, but he didn't. But the bench is clear after the Yankees. You know, win the game. Chapman gets the save, and then Kevin Cash. You know, just kind of taking this really personally. The full quote was, "I can assure, I can assure you, other than three years ago, there hasn't been one pitch thrown with intent for any." from any of our guys. Somebody has to be accountable, and the last thing I'll say is I have a whole damn stable full of guys that throw 98 miles an hour. So basically threatening that tonight guys are going to get plunked. Idiot. Moron. He's a freaking clown. He is. He absolutely is. I don't like... Why say that? You're fueling the fire. And then you have guys like DJ saying... I guess we're getting ready to get plunked, so we're going to come to play. Guarantee you, if they hit one on a, like one of our players gets hits on the rest, done for the year, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know get, what's going to happen, hundred percent. CC might run out of the wherever he is. You know, we've seen him in the stands and some of the scrimmages or whatever. Sure. CC might be in the building tonight and might charge the field and go knock someone out. I would love it. Can we just sign CC for tonight so he could freaking headhunt? I would love. Not it. that I'm, you know. Uh, you know, all for head hunting. I'm, yeah, I'm not. That's the word. I'm not an advocate for head hunting. But you know, when you say something like that, where you have a whole staple of guys that throw 98 miles an hour, you're a freaking clown. Mm-hmm. How does he get? How does he get one game suspension for that? He's already threatening to throw at guys' heads. Yep. And like, look at the Joe Kelly situation. He gets eight games for throwing at the Astros. So clearly, if you throw at the Astros, you're getting a harsher penalty. Mm-hmm. Like. Rob Manfred, you are a freaking clown. He is the clown that's worse than freaking all of this. The rodeo clown? Literally. Literally. Rob Manfred is ruining the game of baseball. Ruining. And if you look at a spray chart of all of Chapman's 14 fastballs this year, I would guarantee you about less than 50% have been anywhere near the strike zone. Probably. This is like his fourth appearance of the season. He hasn't been able to dial it in yet. He's, you know, just getting his velocity back. It's pretty, you know, evident that, you know, he might let some loose sometimes. It's been a thing that Chapman does for his entire career. Like, just because it's the Rays, I guarantee if it was like the Orioles, it'd be all hunky-dory. Yeah, it'd be fine. But just because it's the Rays and the history, and, you know, let's be honest here, Rays-Yankees might be a bigger rivalry than Yankees-Red Sox right now. Right now, yes. Absolutely. Well, the Red Sox aren't competitive. Yeah, I mean, you could even see it like the past couple seasons. Like, the Yankees' raise is like, it's boiling over. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of hot, ten- like, high tensions there. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chapman's going to appeal or whatever, so he'll be available for tonight. And Boone and Cash won't be available tonight to manage. So, you know what? You know what I, I think just hate, this though? Is... Like, the, the discipline, you know, you know, thing that came out, the description of the, the suspensions that came out from Major League Baseball says that. You know, Chapman has has received a three-game suspension and an undisclosed fine for intentionally throwing a pitch at the head of 
at the head area of Mike Brousseau of the Rays. Like, how do you, how know, do you know that, was how do you know that for sure? Exactly. How do you know that for sure? I mean, the only thing, like, he did stare down the guy when he struck him out Chad, he does uh, at that the end the of the game. He does that all the time. Which, yeah, which, you know, if there was no benches clearing brawl here, or not a brawl, but benches clearing after the game ended, as Frank Sinatra's playing New York, New York, <laughs> that's freaking going at it. <laughs> but, like, I, I really don't think there's that much discipline here if, you know, the benches didn't clear. But I think that Major League Baseball just wanted to get out in front of it because they knew that there could have been some, you know, real deep crap that happened tonight if, you know, they didn't lay down the law. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, uh, yeah. imagine if these two teams play a playoff series against each love, other. I love it. I know the Yankees are 2-7 and seven against the Rays this yeah, year. Yeah, I don't know if I'd love that. But, I mean, the ambiance would be nice. It would be something. Yeah, the... the the storylines would the be hype nice. Would, I don't know hype, if the Yankees would win. But... Uh, the hype would be there, though. Hopefully they'd, I mean, be, he, hopefully they'd be all healthy by then. As much as we don't like Kevin Cash, we have to give him a lot of credit he's for the way manager. that he's managed. Very good, yeah, manager. very good manager. Very good manager. The the Yankee or the Rays have like a $40 million payroll. They, freaking Stanton and, Stan and whoever else Cole. you want to. <laughs> yeah, Stanton and Cole combined are more They're than that. More like, than yeah. yeah, like it's... It's unbelievable what he gets out of his players and how he manages the team and stuff like that. So but you have he, to give him credit, but, but he's he a does, freaking clown. Yeah, he is. But he does receive. He does deserve that one game suspension. Here's the thing: I don't. He deserves understand. more than that. He yeah, literally threatened well, to throw it, guys. Yeah, exactly. Here's the one thing I don't understand: Why is Aaron Boone suspended a game? Because Why? if you, because MLB always assumes that it comes from the manager in that sort of sense. Like Dusty Baker got, uh, or. Dave Roberts got suspended for the Joe Kelly thing too, and I think I'm pretty sure Dusty Baker got suspended because his team was involved in it too. The managers just always get swept in. Stupid thing. Just do not. But game three tonight should be very interesting. Oh yeah, very interesting. They should move this game. DJ takes another leadoff homer deep. That'll be nice. They are facing Charlie Morton though. He's coming off the IL, so. Well, Yankees, at least we're not freaking facing class now. True. And the Yankees, are, the Yankees are putting Jordan Montgomery on the mound, so that'll be fun. All right. Pitch very so, well against the Mets. So. As this team is now up 3-2 to two in the top of the fifth with good old Todd Frazier at the, on the, uh, at the plate. Why the heck did they bring him back? Well, we'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> well, you know why? You know why? Brody Van Wiggity. Brody guy. <laughs> Brody Van oh. Wiggity. But... <laughs> the Mets right now are ooh, like ooh, makes me sick. It really makes me want to throw up. Fifteen and twenty-one, a glorious six and a half games back for Atlanta for the National League East crown. Scott, this team is not making the playoffs. Like I've now come to that conclusion that they're just not making the playoffs. They lost three of four to the Marlins and then three of five to the Yankees, and are on a wonderful five-game losing streak right now with that loss to the Orioles last night and Asher Wojciechowski was pitching pretty well last night. But before we get to the this drama with the rotation and Brody Van Wagenen and Stevie Cohen, we always start with offense. Again, the Mets are fourth in batting average and last with runners in scoring position. How does that happen? How? <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> it's a freaking miracle. It re- I don't understand. But you know what? I have to say, you know, I was have to say... When I'm wrong sometimes, right? We all do. Robinson Cano has been freaking electric. He's yeah. been fantastic. He's hitting 380. I think pretty sure that's one of the higher averages in baseball right now. 
I don't know. It's definitely not the highest because DJ's hitting 400, but he's gotten a hit in his last six, the six of his last seven games. Nine for 24, three home runs, four RBIs in the last seven. You know, Robinson Cano right now is pretty, you know, good for a base hit pretty much every game right now. One or two base hits a game right now he's pretty much good for. And good defensively, showing a lot of pop off the pop off the bat for being an old guy, pretty much, because, you know, we were saying at the beginning of the year, Cano's not going to have anything to, you know, come to the Mets, and he's not going to produce anything, and he's just going to be another guy on the team. But Cano, last night against Baltimore, two for four with a home run, drove in a run, two for four the night before, one for three after that, two for four, you know, Six of his last seven games, he's at least gotten a hit. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, he's been very, very good. And, but, uh, you know, he showed last night that Oriole Park at Camden Yards is a real hitter's ballpark because he's played there a lot, and I think he's he's got an outrageous batting average at Oriole Park, I think. Yeah, and, like, he's been the only guy that has been consistent this year, and, mm-hmm. you know, they really, you know, felt the – the brunt of his IL stint because they needed a guy to step up and Andres Jimenez kind of did that, but you know, he's the only guy that seems to have any, what of a clutch, uh, any, you know, sense of a clutch gene in him because mm-hmm. he's the only guy who can get meaningful hits. And um, I, I don't know. They, they need to figure it out fast. And, and yeah, then, they're, um, I mean, they're three and a half games out of the wild cup, the last wild card spot too. So yeah. I mean, there still is a chance, but like, I just, I'm just not seeing it. This year. I'm just not seeing it. I, yeah. Even with the extra spot in the playoffs, it's the rotation, which we'll get to, is just the biggest problem. Dom Smith, our guy, fan favorite of the show here, continues to amaze, hitting 313. Was on a three game hitting streak before last night, actually, and again, still been producing at the plate and making most of his you know current playing time. Luis Rojas has finally figured it out. If you play Dom Smith every day, he will actually be good for you. Fantastic. But what then, a phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. But then, like, the continued thing with this Mets season, especially on offense, is Pete Alonzo. Like, 208 he's hitting right now, which is the lowest out of the guys that pretty much play every day. You know, three hits in his last seven games with three RBIs. Uh, this is like a Gary Sanchez situation. Just when you think that he's going to turn a corner, and he, you know, uh, a couple nights ago, the eight-seven game against the Yankees, he goes for two RBIs. He goes two for four, and then zero oh for three, one for three, one for three. Yeah, just when you think Pete's going to start turning a corner, he goes zero oh for, and then makes bad contact on the ball. Like it's not like he's striking out a lot in these last eight games, but he's just not getting good contact. I don't. I don't know. I don't really don't know what's going on with him. Yeah, I don't know. He's one of the guys that they have to figure out. And uh, and McNeil too. Like he's been fine. Yeah. He's been fine as of late. But yeah, he's hitting two eighty nine. He's hitting for average, but he's got one RBI in his last ten games. Now that says a lot about the Mets because they're again last in runners in scoring position. But he's still looking for his first home run of the season, Jeff McNeil is. But me, personally, I'm convinced he's playing hurt. I'm convinced that dive into the wall that he took a couple weeks ago, he's playing hurt. I completely agree. I just He just I, doesn't look normal. No, he doesn't. And the, just the biggest thing for the Mets on offense before we get to the rotation is that the guys that we expect to perform, McNeil, Alonzo, 
Conforto's been hitting pretty good lately. He just hit a two-run home run today. But you expect a little more from him. But, again, the Mets are getting things out of Cano. Jimenez hit his first home run last night, which was Gary Cohen completely called it, and it was freaking awesome. Um, you know, Jimenez is showing that he can maybe be a star. Uh, Dom Smith continues to, you know, amaze the Mets. But Alonzo McNeil, it can, even Conforto, it's just not good right now. They need they need Alonzo. They need McNeil to be, you know, if, they, if these guys start hitting, the Mets are in the playoffs. Like I think it's that simple. Besides the besides the bullpen, if the Yan- if the Mets can start getting some runs on the board out of these two guys, they're making a run. Like so now let's get to the rotation in the bullpen. And I read this before we came on. The positive was that David Peterson is back, right? He pitched four innings, four hits, three runs against the Yankees. He got a no decision, but he was good. The Mets need him. He's in the bullpen now. Well, they said that it's not. That's not final. But but why is it even a thought? Why is it even a thought? That's my question. I don't really know. Like, I kind of forgot that he came back against the Yankees. What was that Sunday? Yeah, he's been one. He's been one of your. He's probably been your second or third best starter all year. And then you're gonna put him to the bullpen. You know what the smart idea would be? Keep Seth Lugo in the bullpen. Oh my! Oh my God! Uh, decision, Brody. Bro, whoever's making the damn decisions. But okay, Peterson was good. Waka comes back. He was brutal against the Yankees, and the Mets somehow won that game six to four. Ugh. You know, gave up the four runs with his awesome seven point four one ERA. But now Seth Lugo in this freaking rotation. I, I, this pisses me off more than anything. This is a terrible idea from the start. We, you know, it's been. Oh, I can't even. This was a conversation in the beginning of the season. And we were like, no. This cannot, no. Just no. But this 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 guy is only going to give you three to four innings per start. Because, you know why? Because he's got zero time to develop over as a starting pitcher over the course of this year. Zero time. You have 25 games left. He's going to make how many starts in 25 more games? He's not going to have time to start being that seven-inning, you know, six, seven-inning, you know, starting pitcher I don't understand what the Mets are thinking with this even putting Kasselman in okay he was a former starter that doesn't mean he could pitch five six innings right off the bat after being in the bullpen for three years what are you thinking and the thing about Lugo is that he's the only asset to a horrible bullpen that needs a closer your thoughts please before I explode I mean, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I mean, it doesn't make sense to take your bet- best pitcher and, you know, out of a bullpen that's already horrible and decimated on the back end. I mean, you saw it against the Yankees, Edwin Diaz, you know, Friday night looks like freaking Mariano, and then Sunday comes back and, you know, gives up the home runs in, in that first game. And then, you know, you have to turn to, what was it, Drew Smith on the second game on Sunday night who gave up the home run to Gary, like, they could have benefited a lot from Lugo being in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with a 60 game season, what is he going to get three, four, five more starts and probably probably a four innings because he can't stretch himself out. And yeah. over a, over a 162 season, you can understand the move a little more because you know, you would have 
a lot more time to build up his arm, his arm strength and his stamina to be able to pitch a normal, you know, starters workload. But it's just that this right this... now you can't right now you can't trust Jairus Familia, Dellen Batansis, and I mean you saw how they lost the game on Saturday with that Dellen wild pitch, and yeah. then you know, I mean Edward Diaz. Everyone says that you know oh, he's starting to figure it out, and then you know he has one good outing, and then just right back and to blows. the old Edwin Diaz again. It would so. be it would be one thing if the Mets had very good rotation, a very good starting five rotation, but the rotation options are nothing. They have Jake, Porcello, and Walker inconsistent. Porcello's probably been the better of the two, obviously. Peterson now in the bullpen. Like, why is that even a thought? First of all, is was my question. But then the fifth starter, it's between Lugo, Stephen Matz, who probably <laughs> should never start a game, you know, this year ever again. Corey Oswalt, and if you want to throw Kilome in there, and this freaking no-name guy that pitched last night, didn't even yeah, know who the, who the guy was, was they, and they were both abysmal. Like, uh, Kilome and this other guy were just freaking horrible. I don't think that guy was even a single-A pitcher, I gotta be freaking honest with you. But, the bullpen not good either, which is normal. Okay, Batan, you said it, Batanzas, Drew Smith, Justin Wilson, where have you gone lately? Strickland all have ERAs over six. Familia can't trust them. Diaz is Edwin Diaz. What are you doing? What, like, it seems like somebody new is in this rotation every single week and they give up five, six runs. And then you got to rely on your wonderful bullpen to try and keep this game afloat while your offense keeps runners in scoring position. There's no formula here. None. But some good news. Stevie Cohen is buying the team. Yeah, people were – that was funny when Evan Roberts on Friday was like, this is the greatest day in the history of the Mets. They have two great comeback wins, and Stevie Cohen's buying the Mets. And then the next then they two lose. days, three games, they suck again. Uh-huh. But You were up here as a Mets fan on top of the world, and now you're back on rock bottom. $2.36 billion is the number as it stands right now. And that's not with SNY. Which is that's a lot of money, a boatload of money. So, you know, Stevie Cohen's working on the SNY deal, but he will be the new majority owner of the Mets. Bye bye, Will Ponds. See you later. Now let's talk about this Brody stuff because hot mics are a thing in 2020, apparently. Yeah. Brody pretty much saying the, you know, it was at the time where the with the Jacob Blake shooting and, you know, teams wanting to take the time off and, um, you know, stand for social justice, which is all good and well, you know, support that full, full heartedly and stuff like that. You know, Jets took off training camp that day, the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs took a back seat, all good and well. The Mets, you know, they went out with the Marlins and, you know, went out on the field and took a moment of silence. It was a very nice thing to do. But beforehand... Brody Van Wagenen speaking with the media off, you know, off the record, supposedly, but apparently not, you know, saying that blaming something on Rob Manfred that was not his idea ended up being Jeff Wilpon's idea to play the game later, which I mean, if you're going to if you're not going to play and stand for something, you not you don't play and stand by what you're doing. Am I right? Like, (laughs) but apparently it was not. Rob Manfred's idea to play at 810, it was Jeff Wilpon's idea, and Brody Van Wagenen was just ripping into Rob Manfred, saying how he doesn't get it, blah, blah, blah. 
which is, you know, I mean, ripping Rob Man. I mean, it's easy to rip Rob Manfred for a lot of things, but if it's something he didn't do, you can't rip him. But the fact that it was Jeff Wilpon's idea doesn't really make it all that much better. If you ask me, Jeff Wilpon was concerned about the scheduling issues. So my question to Brody is, does Jeff Wilpon just not get it? Like, that's my question, and why that hasn't been talked about or brought up is interesting. Because if you're ripping Rob Manfred for not getting it, but it was Jeff Wilpon's idea... That means Jeff Wilpon was insensitive and didn't get the idea of not playing a game today. So, <laughs> we're just going to gloss right over that, I guess. Yeah, I don't know why that hasn't been talked about a lot more. Maybe because they're just selling the team, so... But they're still, the majority, last, like, parting they're gift. still the majority owner of the team. They still represent the Mets. Like, Yeah, but not for much longer. True. I think if there was no talk of them selling the team right now, that this would be a much bigger issue. But I think the Mets fans and a lot of, you know, pretty much just the Mets fans are blinded by the fact that Stevie Cohen is buying the team, hopefully. Um, That, you know, they're just kind of let this go under the rug and, you know, going to move on. But the fact that they didn't know how to spell Brody's name (laughs) in their statements is unbelievable. (laughs) Like, what? <laughs> Did autocorrect, like, bite you uh, in the ass? Like, wh- what? I don't know. B-R-O-D-I-E, at Jeff and Fred Wilpon. <laughs> Stupid ass. <laughs> what are you? Uh, oh, oh, they're so dumb. They are so dumb. Uh, so dumb. Uh, they hired a GM. They don't even know how to spell their freaking name. <laughs> Stop this being is the a that you can't... Re- this is the one time you can't rip Brody. No, you can't. But, oh, I mean... Idiot. If you want to rip him now... Idiots. If you want to rip him now, maybe you can. Uh, the, I guess... Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I guess Brody is thinking, once again, that this team is going to make a run and go to the playoffs, considering he just traded for right-handed bullpen p- uh, pitcher Miguel Castro, Robinson Torino's a catcher, and former, He's hitting 113, by the way. And former New York Met, Todd Frazier. So Todd Frazier's back Actually, in Queens. 119. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. But really, Brody? Like, do we think, like, could have sold some contracts, right? Let's say, get rid of some, maybe trade Ahmed Rosario, maybe. I don't know. But, like, what does, what does bringing back Todd Frazier do for this team absolutely nothing i don't understand i don't understand like they got jd davis playing uh they got jd davis playing third he's doing okay he was hurt for a little bit but like giorme was playing well and the fact that he's now batting fourth in the lineup tonight against the orioles Brody Van Wiggity must love Todd Frazier. Love him. Because wants to have him on the team twice. I mean, uh, I don't know. Don't know. Scott, what are you, uh, you good over there? Yeah, sorry. I had some microphone issues. Okay. I think my right. cord fell out the back oh, end. That sucks. That's tough. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, I don't understand this Todd Frazier deal. Or, or any trade at all. Don't I mean Robinson Chirinos, I guess, is more like of a defensive catcher kind of thing because Godfrey, like, they need a defensive catcher. Like that's just and like I said, he's batting one nineteen. Yeah. 
And then if they think this Miguel Castro guy is going to really you know, bolster their bullpen, you know, you got another thing coming. What did they give up for them? Uh, player, like... Players to be named later, which uh, I think one of them was their 12th overall prospect. So Brody's just selling what? the farm for magic beans. Why? I don't know. That's a great question. I, I mean, think unless their unless their uh, farm system is just that bad, the twelfth overall prospect is like out of the top twenty for every other organization. I mean, we'll see what uh, Jared Kalanick becomes. <laughs> That'll be something. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, the only real good thing you can look forward to if you're a Mets fan is that Stevie Cohen is buying this team, and hopefully Brody Van Wiggity and probably Luis Rojas, unfortunately, are going to be out. I mean, Luis Rojas has, has been showing as of late that he's not a fantastic manager, but again, a rookie manager came in in weird circumstances because Carlos Beltran was fired under strange circumstances as well. You know, this being a 60-game COVID season, I don't know if you can really justify how good or bad Luis Rojas is as a manager, but Brody Van Wiggity should be gone. Like, that's just, I mean, uh... We've seen what he's Brody done. Wiggity, because he's wiggity wiggity whack. That's why. I just. Oh dear. This is what happens when you hire an agent to become a general manager uh, at the New York Knicks, who have the number eight overall pick in the wonderful NBA draft. Because I didn't get to talk about that, so uh, they're not going to get anybody. But... No, this draft sucks. Cole, Cole Anthony, here we come. That's great. Hey. But the Mets have the deepest rotation in baseball. Oh, yeah. Come and get us. Am I right? Ugh. Come and get us. Have to let that uh that statement live in him for me. <sighs> All right. So that'll do it for baseball. Yankees and Mets are, you know, 25 games left to go in the season until Can't believe playoff it. Last... baseball. It's definitely, definitely something. But we will take another break. When we come back. Joe will join us, and we will talk some Islanders hockey as they are looking to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in, like, 25 years. So that'll be something. And then we got some new segments for you guys. So we'll do all that when we come back. You're listening to the Tri-State Sports Beat. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Tri-State Sports Beat. And look who has finally decided to join us. Ranger Joe. Hi, pal. How you doing? I like that song. (laughs) Oh, you'll hear it again soon. Uh, (laughs) Um... Pal, what's your take on this Islander series, especially after last night? Um, I actually, I I'm in love with this series right now, actually, because it's two local. Obviously, it's two local teams, but these teams have a lot of history with each other, especially with uh, the amount of Stanley Cups that the Islanders have won in the past. Mm-hmm. How the Flyers have basically been known for being rough and tumble type of hockey team, um, but. Every chance the Islanders get, they're giving it right back to them. So I think it's really an exciting series. I don't doubt that the Flyers take take Game 6 and force it to a Game 7 because both teams are neck and neck. Uh, you see everything basically up, to, up until that first game, Game 1, was one, maybe two goals. I think there was one two-goal game in there Mm -hmm. but I mean going to overtime in this last game just kind of put an exclamation mark on the series I just thought that last night I want to talk about last night's game in particular that the Islanders were down two with like what five minutes to play or something like that Mm -hmm. and they were able to and they were able to come back after giving up you know three straight was it three straight goals or or two yes probably three straight goals at one point 
Um, for them to come back like that, and Semyon Varlamov, who's been playing pretty much out of his mind this whole entire series, uh, was able to be count on uh, in Game 5 last night. But I think that Philadelphia was just waiting for an opportunity to kind of, you know, the pressure was all really on the Islanders, I guess you could say, to really close out this series. So the Flyers could pretty much play like, okay, if we lose, we're going home. But if we win, we get to continue on. Um, do you think that Philadelphia is a legit number one seed? Um, well, it, I mean, it's hard to really put a legit number one seed on any of these teams just because of this whole circumstances on how they had to be seated. Those first top, those top four teams had to be seated, um, with the round robin competition. So, I mean, yeah, there's always going to be that exclamation point or that, uh, that asterisk next to that, uh, first place seed. But I mean, they're top four. It's no doubt they're, mm-hmm. they're probably top two from where we ended in this season. Right. So I think that they are more than capable of sending this game to a game seven. But the way the Islanders what, do you think that's what's going to happen, or do you think the Islanders close it out in six? I honestly, I think the Islanders have a good shot of closing it out game six. Um, but with everything going on, I want to see something super exciting in this series and they've delivered on it so far. Hmm. So I'd like it to go to game seven, but I, I have a feeling it might get closed out. Scoot, what do you think about this series overall? Just real quick. I mean, the Islanders have really, you know, I think I've talked about it the past couple of weeks when we've talked about the Islanders, but they've shown that they're the team that, you know, opened the season that were on a roll and, the best team in the Eastern Conference, I think, at one point, mm-hmm. let alone the Metropolitan Division. So, um, I mean, they're getting f- fantastic goaltending, even when uh, Farlamov had that really bad game. Um, is Grice their backup? Yeah. Is that who it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, came in and closed out that game for them, and they came back and won. Like, I, they, pretty much what you need to play off hockey is hot goaltending, and you can try and find a way to score score a goal here and a, and a goal there. So, uh, I think they're, you know, in a pretty good spot to advance here, and you know, against a very good Lightning team who actually, you know, are making some noise in the playoffs instead of losing in the first round. Without that Steven Stamkos, be an too, interesting, which is amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it should be a really interesting series if they close this out. Yep. Which, you know, I hope they do. Okay. I hope they, you know, advance because it would be, it's fun to see the local teams that's not the Rangers to uh, advance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's really, I mean, we're pretty short on time right now. So that's really it for the Islanders. They will play game six tomorrow against the Flyers, and hopefully they can close it out. Uh, next time we'll be covering them more a little more extensively. But we have a new segment, ladies and gentlemen. So <laughs> Scott Scott and I were um, floating around some new ideas that we could do for the show and uh, stuff like that, and we came across a oldie but a goodie um, when Joe couldn't pronounce. Well, the, the one that probably made Joe most famous of not being able to uh, pronounce the names <laughs> And um, and I think that was episode like seventy four or something. Like that it seems like such a long time ago now, but um, I said to Joe that phonics is his friend, and um, <laughs> Joe's Joe still has a lot to learn. So so Joe, uh, just so you don't have the opportunity to research any of these names, I'm going to send them to you right now in our Tri-State Sports Beat group chat right okay. now. And uh, right now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a new segment called uh, Fun with Phonics. Oh my God. <laughs> It's got a hard name. <laughs> All right, pal. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a hard name. Oh, these are hard names, pal. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah they are. That, <laughs> the best part of that is you started playing the 
the intro and he goes or whatever he said. He's like, oh no. <laughs> all right, Joe. We're gonna go we're gonna go in order from top to bottom, all right? So the first name that's right at the top of the message. That's what we're gonna start with. Okay. Are you ready? No. Yes, you not are. at all. Yes, you are. Anyway. This head coach is a college basketball coach since nineteen eighty. <sighs> He has served as the men's head basketball coach at Duke University, where he has led the Blue Devils to five NCAA championships, 12 Final Fours, 15 ACC championships, and 12 ACC regular season titles. That coach is who? Coach K. What's his full name? (laughs) It's Coach K. I know him as Coach K. Joe, you have to read the name that is written down for you. Mike. Coach Mike Mike K. Yeah, Mike. Mike Kryowski. <laughs> I don't know. They're hard. Give it another shot. Sound it out. It was... It's okay. Kryzowski. I'll give. I'll give. I'll give you a hint. It's not. It's definitely not how. It's, it's definitely not how it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help me at all. Oh dear. Oh no. How do you say this one? Kryzowski. Uh, Kryz- Scott, you're the, blue, you're the Blue Devil fan. Okay. So. Well, first of all, there was an ESPN uh, interview once. Someone called him Mike Wazowski. <laughs> you know, I thought about it. <laughs> His he is pronounced Mike Shashevsky. Yeah, that no, that's not how it's spelled. <laughs> that's what I said. That's how it's pronounced. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not how. It's Sammy Winder. Sammy oh, Winder. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a hard name. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I, there's no shot. I'm saying the second one. Olivo. Come on, Olivo. <laughs> Olivo. He couldn't even pronounce Miguel Olivo. <laughs> All right, Joe. This American former professional baseball catcher has played in Major League Baseball for the Atlanta Braves, Texas Rangers, Boston Red Sox, Miami Marlins, Arizona Diamondbacks, Detroit Tigers, and the Toronto Blue Jays. He was born on May the 2nd, 1985 in West Palm Beach, Florida. He is 6 foot 4 and his name is Jared. Uh-huh. Ah, <laughs> oh, so Saltamachia. close. It's close. That's not too bad. It's close. It's... Jared, oh, Jared Saltalamakia. Saltalamakia. Yeah. Uh, that's not bad. Yeah. I don't, think, I don't I... think you took the time to sign that one out, Joe. But that's okay. That's all right. Saltama- hey, maybe, maybe that's better. He just yeah, spews whatever comes just to mind. Go first. for it. I just got to <laughs> go, go for it. it. Just commit. Commit. Just full send. That's right. All right. This next <laughs> one is a Spanish-born American former basketball player. and Well, I know it's not English. And current color analyst for the New York <laughs> Knicks on MSG Network. He played 10 seasons for four teams in the National Basketball Association and was named an NBA All-Star during the 2001-2002 season. His name is... Wally Schausback. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Winder. No way, you just... <laughs> hey, hey, he, he committed. It's not committed. English. It's got a hard name. Wally Schausback. <laughs> Shit. Uh, <laughs> you want to try one more time? Try one more time, Joe. <laughs> Why is there an S and a Z next to this? <laughs> it's throwing me off. Holy is it suh or zuh? Oh, yeah, that's what you got to figure out. Shuzuh. 
Shazerbek. Shazerba. Joe, his name is Wally Zerbiak. Zerbiak. So the S is silent. I got it now. Yes, very good. All All right. right. This one's got two hard names. (laughs) It's got a hard name. (laughs) Two. All right, Joe. This person is a Japanese professional baseball player. He currently plays. Where he current play, currently plays professional baseball. He played for the Boston Red Sox and the New York Mets of Major League Baseball. He was born on September 13th, 1980. Uh, He's six foot tall, and he is from Japan. Mm-hmm. His name is... Dasaki <laughs> Mizuka. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Dazuki <laughs> Mazuka. <laughs> it's got, it's got, it's got to be close. Not even relatively. His name Dazuki Mazuka. His name is. His name is Daisuke. Daisuke <laughs> Matsuzaka. <laughs> That's not how it's spelled. <laughs> Matsuzaka, that's a that's pretty Dice K's hard. Matsuz I thought you were gonna get Matsuzaka. Not gonna lie. <coughs> oh dear. Alright, so we have, the, we have the great Mike Shashevsky, Jared oh. Saltalamakia, Wally Zerbiak, and Dice K Matsuzaka. That's the first edition of Daisuki. <laughs> I was gonna say Matt Suzuki, so uh. <laughs> it's better than what I was gonna say. <laughs> Uh, good old, good old fun with phonics, with. <laughs> See, Joe, that was fun, right? You can do this every week. Oh yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> that was that. Wally Shurek. Suzuki. I want to know why there was no hockey players on there. Because you would know because them. You know what? We were gonna pick. We were gonna pick Shane Gostisbehere, but we figured you knew how to pronounce that. Exactly. All right, boys. So let's end today like oh, we always man. do. It's time to lock in your bets because it's time for Tri-State Sportsbook. Kids with the catch. Show me the money. Winning. All right, who would like to lead us off? Sure, I'll go. All right, pal. Okay, my first game. Three games here. My first game, I'm going with the Islanders. Mm-hmm. In game six, minus 121, they're going to get the job done and move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Next game, I'm gonna I'm getting into the football mood. All right. I'm going Army minus four. <coughs> Naturally. Army minus four. I just don't see how they lose to Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee State was like three and nine last year, four and eight. Just don't see how Army doesn't get it done at home. Who, were, the, who are they playing again? Middle Tennessee State. Okay. Last game. I'm taking BYU on the road at Navy. Minus two and a half. BYU is coming off a very good season. Navy lost their quarterback, Malcolm Perry. Uh people are kind of up and down on what Navy's gonna be this year. I'm going to take BYU minus two and a half. So to recap, the Islanders straight up Army minus four and BYU minus two and a half. A ten dollar wager will uh, give you a potential payout of sixty six seventy six. Joe, you're up. No, go ahead. Uh, you want me to go? Yeah, I, All I, right. Yeah, I got to finish. Joe's, cha- Joe's changing his bets already because he's like, "Oh, they're wrong. Can't do that." All <laughs> right. First off. I will do game three, Raptors and Celtics. I will take the over at 215. 
Uh, I don't know what uh, I don't know what the outcome was of the game. I think this series is going to be pretty close. I think the Celtics are up 2-0 right now, but I'm going to take the over at 2:15. We're going to go to the MLS: Houston Dynamo and Sporting Kansas City. Nobody's going to win. There's going to be a tie. I'm just going to go a 1-1 draw. How about that? That sounds good. And then, Scott, just like you, I'm going to take the Islanders and Flyers game, game six, but I'm going to go with the over of five goals. I think we have a chance to go into overtime once again because these two teams are just very tightly matched and very physical teams. But I think we're going to get the over at five goals. So just to recap, going to go Toronto and Boston, game three, over 215 points. A tie between the Houston Dynamo and the Sporting Kansas City. And the over five goals in game six, the Flyers and New York Islanders. Five bucks will win you $66.35. Go ahead, Joe. My three, starting in the NHL, like Scott said, money line on the Islanders. I think they're going to get it done against the Flyers in uh, game six. Uh, Second one, I'm going to go, this is a little risk here, but OKC Thunder money line over the Houston Rockets in Game 7. Knock them out. Knock them out. And finally, football is just around the corner. I have to go football. Going with Big Truss. Mm. I'm going Big Truss. Actually, against the Browns, I think it's going to be a under 48 and a half. Total football points. already, huh? I love football. Uh, we all do. He should have waited. He should have kept that till next week. Yeah, because we got NFL picks coming up next week, Joe. Oh well, I'll have NFL picks. Right, Don't worry. Very well. Um, ten dollar payout for ninety seven dollars and eighty eight cents. You can't go wrong, boys. You can't. You can't. And girls you can't go wrong. All right. Very nice. So that is yet another week of the Tri State Sportsbook, and that is another episode of the Tri State Sportsbeat, episode number one seventeen. Boys, it's a lot of episodes. Um, we covered a lot today. It was nice to get back on here after a little two-week hiatus, even though it didn't seem like two weeks. Um, good to all be back. Joe's got to go to class because uh, he's mm-hmm. still in school. So good for you, pal. Um, well, that'll do it for us. Thank you guys for listening to episode number 117 of the Tri-State Sports Beat. Thank you all for sticking around. Of course, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TSSB Pod for daily updates on all nine New York sports teams. You can listen <coughs> to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all that good stuff. And you can stay tuned for our weekly bonus content, including Joe's awesome photo edits that he still hasn't done because he's lazy or he's a student. That's fine. I get it, Joe. It's all right. It's fine. (laughs) Edits as well as audio and video clips. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next time on the Tri-State Sports Beat. Namaste, and keep listening to the Tri-State Sports Beat. Goodbye! Magazine, salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine, and the trenches on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. Hello, Brooklyn. I love your corners. I'm happy soul. I love your corners. I'm happy soul. I love your corners. I'm happy soul. I love your corners. I'm happy soul.